Hey there, friends. In our travels across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest House. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out. Hey, friends. This is the second in a short series that we're doing on lessons that we've learned as we've been overland traveling. These are shows about wisdom from the road. In the first of these, last week's episode, we gave you the first six lessons that we learned from just traveling on the road, doing the overland lifestyle in a truck camper. That was last week. Today, we're going to give you number seven through 12. We're learning some things, and we're going to share those things with you. After this, we're going to shift next week and the weeks beyond. We're going to shift to things that we've learned from people directly, actual bits of wisdom that they've told us. So stay tuned for that. We know that some of you are here primarily for religious conversations about religious education, about overcoming trauma from religion, spiritual abuse, abuse in the church of various forms. But one of the things that we're doing along the way isn't just exposing these problems, but talking about, pointing to, giving signposts to a different way to live. And for us, one of those different ways is to live on the road with free styles of camping. We've talked a little bit about it last time in terms of the way that you can do this, some tips for how you can find free places to camp, places to make friends and to meet people. On this episode, we're going to go deeper. We're going to learn some more things from folks and some experiences that we've had. We're so glad that you're sticking with us. Again, normally we're going to be more overtly religious and academic, but we're having a lot of fun just recounting some of the things we've learned as we've been traveling along. I'm a professor. I'm on sabbatical. My lady's with me. She is taking a sabbatical too, because why not? It's good to do it at the same time. And then we'll get back to business of the day in and the day out. Loving it. In January. But until then, enjoy the ride. Come along with us. Let's go. Time by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the Crisis Text Line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, just take a deep breath because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. We are 
are back for our second half of the first part of a short multi-part series on wisdom from the road. Things that Stacy and I have learned from traveling as overlanders, albeit temporarily, in our truck camper. We want to do it permanently eventually. We are now going to start with number seven. Let's just jump right into it, baby. Come on, let's just go. Sometimes we banter too much. Let's go. So, number seven, Uber drivers can help give you a sense of a community and also serve as a concierge. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. The Uber drivers are the best. Yeah. I am not really sure that I can endorse Uber as a corporation. I'm not sure I'm going to condemn it. I really like the convenience. Or Lyft drivers, I'm sure, could be the same. (laughs) Right. No, right. Pick your your app. But what I like about it is that we get to meet people that are a part of a community. Yep. They know their way around, usually, in the area that you're in, or at least the state. And we have found that they have had so many conversations with folks that when we start talking about certain subjects, they're very informative. <laughs> they can yeah. tell us things in other states that we should check out, you know, based on our conversations that we have. Uber drivers have helped us sort of surf the Dow, as we mentioned in the last episode. Go where just the universe takes us. Right. So that when we were kind of considering going to Nashville, because we had friends that were performing there. Or Seattle. Or Seattle. Se- yeah. Nashville. Seattle, <laughs> You're going Nashville, back and forth. Anchorage, Baja. Anchorage, Baja. Now we end up then in we Tennessee. End up, yes. <laughs> we end up in Tennessee because friends of ours were going to be performing there. Uh, we happened at the time... Uh, we the Uber driver was from Tucson, so then we had moved on to Colorado. But Colorado was that's when it was going to get cold, so we were going to make a move, and we decided to go to Tennessee because he also mentioned a place called the Farm. It's a hippie commune that back in the eighties ended up having to kind of switch it up and and become more of an intentional community instead of a commune. Anyway, we'll we'll discuss, discuss that the difference much more in the next episode. Yeah. The way that we got to that weird and interesting and wonderful spot was through a conversation with an Uber driver. Right. You could do it with a taxi driver, bartender, barista. Conversations and help. That's kind of the key. I think that that the point though is when we're on the road, surfing the Dow has meant remain flexible. And yeah. listen to advice of people that whether we're staying with them, whether, you know, in any of our conversations. Yeah, don't be so stuck to our own plans. I mean, I learned I, about some of the greatest things to check out just from those conversations. And sometimes you don't want to listen. No, no, I've got my plans. No, no, no. And you don't have to do everything that somebody says. No. But when somebody says, this is what you need to do, it's very often something that you really should do. Because sometimes we'll show up and we'll say, hey, listen, to, to a, a food server, if your sister was in town for the weekend, where would you send her? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. send me there, right? <laughs> like, what's that place that I just can't miss? You can't miss in this town. For instance, if you're in Tucson, even though we, we, we actually liked some Sonoran hot dogs better than, than, than the original place, the original place is just too good to pass up, and that is El Guero Canelo. Guero Canelo is a Sonoran hot dog that has all his fixins on a Mexican hot dog. We've actually ranked our hot dogs. And the, I think the way the hot dogs go is the number one hot dog in the world is in Miami at La Moon. And it's a Colombian hot dog with these little pieces of, of uh, French fry, like a deep fried, thin French fry. That is number one. Number two is a taco. Uh, I'm sorry. Number two is basically any good Sonoran dog in Tucson. And we'll say Guero Canelo to be cool. But there are also some food truck style hot dogs that probably hit hit our palate a little bit better. And then 
Number three is any person selling a Tijuana dog outside of the Coliseum in Los Angeles. And part of me, Stacy, wouldn't you say, part of me thinks that the, that the, that the, the, the Tijuana dog, the Mexican hot dog in Los Angeles might be the best. It's just, it's hard to know where to go. You know, it's kind of it's, sometimes it, inconsistent. Right. I honestly. Bacon wrapped hot dog I with would, a jalapeno. I would absolutely reverse the order of what you said from my one, two, Okay. Three. So what's your one, two, and three? <laughs> so. I, if it's a really good one outside of, I, I really, really enjoy those hot dogs. And maybe that's where the first time I fell in love with them is outside of the, the ball games. So your first place is second, Los Angeles second Tijuana place dog. Would, and, and I don't, I don't know. I think that the food, the food truck Sonoran dog that we got was my favorite. Yeah. That's number two. That's my number two. And you're saying and number, number three, three is Lamoon. I, I think I had better memories of Lamoon, but when we went back there the second time, that's true. It Didn't wasn't, hold on. it wasn't quite as good since we have experienced the other better hot dogs. dogs in the, so originally it had, that was our gold standard at first. Mm-hmm. And it made us go on this quest to find these. Yeah, I never thought hot dogs. dogs. We, one of the nice things that I like about hot dogs though, and it's counterintuitive is that I generally don't like basing most of my meals on meat. meat. Yeah. But I like every once in a while to have a little meat on the side or in something or some ground beef mm-hmm. in, in a, or, or a chicken and, and, and rice. But hot dogs, some people say, I don't like hot dogs because it's all these other byproducts. I like the, the hot dog <laughs> because it's byproducts. And let me tell you why. Because when I was growing up with seven brothers and sisters, eating the choicest of the foods made me feel guilty. Mm. So when I eat a hot dog, I feel like, well, the, do- the, the animal didn't die for me. I'm just, just eating the byproduct. Pack a lot of flavor for very little money, you know, yes. well, <laughs> is, and, another, well, is another piece. The other thing is, part to me, part of surfing the Tao is recognizing the joys of things that people don't want. I mean, this is, this is the thing that we've learned. It's easy for a white, suburban, affluent kid to be purist, to be uh, or plant-based food only. But as I've traveled, it's really hard to do in Japan, in Guatemala or whatever. But when I'm in those other places, I realize there's a way of living with meat mm-hmm. in your diet that is a little more ethical and less destructive to the whole community. So, you know, I, I met people in Guatemala that had, you know, a few chickens and ducks and things. They didn't eat them all the time. But when they needed to eat them, that really helped their protein and, and, mm-hmm. and their diet. And well, and we, these and were we, animals that were ethically treated. And when we learned, we learned in China that I mean, most it's it's not a lot of refrigeration, farm, farm to table because mm. of the the uh, lack of refrigeration. It's your kneecap to table. It's it's just down the <laughs> right. I mean, whether it's crawdads or, right? or or carp, but there's a way in which having your meat come straight from just a block away, and and being fresh is both healthy and ethical. But more importantly, a lot of a lot of people that struggle to put food on the table, have learned how to make really great dishes out of parts of the animal that folks don't want. Mm-hmm. Tripe, you know, um, cartilage, these sorts of things in pho, you know, Vietnamese soup or, I mean, we really love Mexican soups. If you if you, if you you just go to your, your normal, you know, Mexican food place that's kind of based off of El Torito, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, enjoy yourself. But but one of the best things about Mexican food to me is is the soups. The albondiga soup, you, you make a really great one. We were always on a quest for a good tortilla soup. Mm-hmm. But basically just a, a, a good soup that brings in all of the flavors of the extra parts of the animal. It's like the Native Americans using all the animal. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy that. And I'm not making a case for the nitrites and all the crap that no. they put into to 
hot dogs. Hot dogs. <laughs> but there are better hot dogs than others. But more importantly, the idea that somebody's going to be disgusted that this is, this is intestines or cartilage is kind of a white person problem. You know what I'm and saying? They, like and, a, and they, an affluent white person problem. And you know? I have heard that we are missing some of the more healthy the healthier parts and things that our body yeah. needs. Sometimes our by, body needs that by cartilage. To, if you stick to only boneless, skinless chicken type of thing, you're mm-hmm. missing some of those things that are really, your bones need it. Um, if you're going to eat an animal, eat yeah, the whole animal ultimately. Yeah, and use it for your own nutrition. All right. But we digress. <laughs> We've digressed. All right. but So number eight, we have found that there is a, an abundance of some of these young single women that are just seeming to unplug from their communities, but patriarchy in general, abusive situations, we, yeah, I mean, domineering parents, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's sometimes young women trying to break free. And we are so inspired by it because I'm terrified in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, all of a we've sudden, we've got each other and a dog and yeah. they're often completely by themselves. Which often is, they'll bring a dog, but it's possible that they'll be by themselves. Yeah. And we've met them and we are so inspired by these young women because they're saying the way that they're going to be able to escape being owned or being controlled and the way that they're going to find freedom is to minimize their expenses mm-hmm. and they're doing it and they're hanging out and all of a sudden we find ourselves you know making a campfire and just across the way there's a, a young woman making a campfire and she is powerful <laughs> that is an inspiring powerful person yeah, and I think a, it's really there was important. a gal that we met along the road and she had gotten a temporary job selling fruit fresh fruit on the you know in a parking lot of a grocery store and then she was going to be there for a few more weeks and move on and and just find you know temporary jobs along the way to support herself give her gas money we were on the mojave river and there was a young woman who came from the east coast and was not going to marry the person that she was supposed to marry and she was going to get away from really intense religious parents and all of a sudden she's sitting there in heaven she's told she's going to go to hell and now we're sitting there watching the sunset on the water and we're in heaven yeah oh it's so lovable it's so great so number nine some of the fear-based religious signage that we've seen throughout our travels on the highways on church kiosks they can be very aggressive and felt traumatizing we have been involved in church Almost all of our lives. And driving across the country was kind of a drag when I started getting bombarded by these. We were being preached at and and yelled at by God. Like like you were going to go to hell if you don't. Oh my goodness. I mean, (sighs) it was hard to listen to my music and relax and, you know, eat my sunflower seeds. Every every so many miles. If you die tonight on this road, where are you going? (laughs) And then even the things that aren't. Listen, I don't even care. Friends, you know. Roll how you roll, but could you please stay out of my face with your intense, intense terror? Because what I'm saying is you probably have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You do not yet know how beautiful it is to live in that world of unconditional love and peace. And so you're trying your hardest. I'm not mad at you for being duplicitous or wicked in your own intent, you are trying to help people. But what I'm saying is, as we're driving down the road, you're not helping. You're uh, not helping me. I would I would venture to guess. I don't want to go to your that church. Not a single person has ever come to church because they said they saw a sign on the road. Now, and if they did, they're going to come out of fear, and yes. that goes back to a few. And they're going to need some conversation and 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 help along the way to 
realize that there's more than fear. You know, we've got listeners in many, many countries already. And so if you're not from the United States, I want you to understand this. Oh, yes. When it comes to the question, is America a Christian nation? That's a very tricky business. Was it immersed in a kind of Christian framework? Is that the mental landscape that even the deists, the Enlightenment thinkers that started the whole thing as the American experiment, were they Christian? They were not Orthodox, Christ- Orthodox Christians in the way we think of it maybe today mm-hmm. or even in the past. But they were people that were informed by biblical narratives and Christian concepts. And, and so that's Christian nation. Uh, were, were there many, many Christians as opposed to Muslims and Buddhists that founded the country? Yes. And there's the question, should Christianity and the Bible govern society? Should, is, is America set up so that that's the governing principle? No. So our constitution is set up that that's separate. But if you're asking the question, is America super religious? Yes, because we've been to France and Germany and, and Switzerland and England and, and Asia. And we've been all we've been in Latin America, all these different places. And America is uniquely in your face about its Jesusness. Mm-hmm. We put we put God on our money. Oh, yeah. We put the Ten Commandments in courthouses sometimes. Yeah. We've been places where you put the Ten Commandments on your front lawn. Yeah. It's like, okay. I, I don't see that in France. I was going to have an <laughs> affair, but now you put that sign ornament up there that said no adultery. I'm in, good. In England, I mean, England, they're not going to shout at you for anything, pretty no, much. God save the queen. For, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, no, no. The English it's, ladies would always get mad at me for letting Augie not have socks because Augie had hot feet. Aiden has hot feet, too. So... Well, they're not, they're not, the English, the English overheat sometimes. They're not afraid. They're not, the women especially aren't afraid to tell you how to raise your kids. Yes. But they're not telling you that you also better take that kid to church. And they're not saying that you're going to go to hell no, all the time. For no, how you're wait, so what we're saying is, I, I don't know what it would be like if I were a person that had an ambivalent relationship with the church from England or Australia or China or whatever. And I'm driving across the American continent, you know, the United States the amount of propaganda, Jesus propaganda, that I would encounter would, would shock me. It, re- it reminded me a bit of, of the, the fetish for Che Guevara and, and uh, Fidel when I was driving through Cuba. And I'm thinking, do they really buy this? Or who is putting these posters up? And it didn't make me feel like joining the communists. Mm-hmm. It just made me know where I was. In other words... What I think that sometimes these signs are doing isn't trying to convert me. I'm not even sure they're doing it on purpose. But I wasn't so sure as we were driving across the country that these signs were trying to convert me to a way of peace, love, joy, Mm -hmm. salvation. I think it was saying, this is a Christian nation, back off, Hmm. foreigners. I'm not saying that's true, but that's what it felt like. And even if it wasn't like that... I was terrified because I was constantly dwelling on a God that wants to send me to hell. And I think, I think they're saying, you know, go, go get into a church. The hard part that I found, and, and to me the sad thing about it, was that we would go into these towns. So you would go on the highway. There are these signs. Then you drive into these towns. And then there's a section where there's maybe, it could be even, not even that big of a town, but there's four churches all within... Like a like a mile of each other. You've got the Baptists, maybe even a couple. First, second, third, fourth Baptist. You got American Baptist, Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Free Will Baptist, the Methodist, United Methodist. It's Free Will. I wouldn't know where to begin. Like, what door do I first walk into when I've got 
every, across the street, there's, I don't know, I, I look around in every corner, there's a different one. And any, any of, them. of them. Right. When some of the cities we went into, they would have a sign that says, these churches welcome you. And there would be 13, 14, 15 churches and maybe a population of 280. So then you know? you're thinking, there's a lot of differences of opinion. There must be a lot of division because they don't, you know, they don't agree. So where did, how did this even come to be? I mean, yeah. It just feels like as we're driving through parts of America that the religiosity invites me into a terrifying Thanksgiving experience. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you're at Thanksgiving and there's these, you know, imagine that you're a girlfriend of some dude and you go to his family Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you stumble upon mm, about six o'clock. People have been, you know pushing back the sauce a little bit in their mm-hmm. esophagus. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're getting a little drunk and they're getting a little feisty. They're getting a little bit in, into fights. And you're like, mm, this is uncomfortable. Right. Much of America was uncomfortable for us. We are white people. Church people. With decent enough money that we're not just total drifters. And all of a sudden we find ourselves kind of scared by our own country. In a way that even goes deeper than just, you're not necessarily welcome here. You might be going to hell in addition. So anyway, that's the thing. If you are a person who has a farm and you're listening to the show, hey there. Thanks for listening. Love you. Don't be so sure that using your ad space mm-hmm. for a scare or a fear-based evangelism is going to do any good. I'm not sure it does. I think it does more harm than good sometimes. It certainly wasn't helpful for us. Correct. It was not in uplifting and inspiring. So, you know, I throw on, I throw on a little bit of reggae. I'm like, oh, I'm, up, I'm, I'm uplifted and inspired. <laughs> and then I've got to use that to counteract, and I'm not a Rastafarian, to counteract what's going on on the signage. Right. All right. So n- number 10, neo-paganism seems to relate to folks finding themselves lower on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So Abraham Maslow created a kind of pyramid mm-hmm. of needs that human beings had. And basically what he was after was this idea that it's, it's almost impossible for you to be dealing with questions of a higher order, meaning, um, potential satisfaction with your relationships. All those things come way down the line because you have these other needs as a human First and foremost, before you can even ask religious, political, literary questions. So if you think about the the pyramid, maybe you've seen this in high school or college. There's a pyramid that goes from the base layer of the most basic needs all the way up to the top, which is self-actualization. Stacey, what are those, what are those different levels? So on the very bottom, and maybe like the, the, the longest, the base of the pyramid is your physiological needs. So that's what your body needs to survive. You cannot do philosophy when you're running away from hyenas and trying to find a few grains to feed your family. All the, and, and by the way, what's important about that is that any of us who find ourselves in the world of religion better be clear that that needs to be handled first. So you need, you need food and water. Right. But, but what's important about that is if you're trying to say, I'm trying to do evangelism, I'm trying to bring people into my church, but you don't care that they are locked up in prison. Starving starving, suffering from diseases. When people can't get those basic needs met, all of your Sunday school materials are, are, are blasphemous mm-hmm. in a way. Right. If you, if, you, if, you, if you try to give them a nice... If you try to give people that are starving VBS, <laughs> it's aesthetically problematic. 
morally problematic, that sort of thing. So then the next thing is they need, I, I kind of jumped to it with the hyenas, but. Yeah, they need safety. They need a shelter over their head. They need a, you know, they need, or some sort of way of not being eaten by other animals or beaten up by other people. One of the things that I think is going on is that people are scared that they're losing their influence, their power. They are noticing changes as immigration comes, as we're still in the wake of 9-11 and terrorist attacks. People, when they're afraid, will turn towards safety. And even if they have to give up some of their rights and their freedoms, the safety part is so important that they that they're willing to kind of compromise on their values to achieve a level of security. And because of that, when people are terrified or poor or, or, or sad, it's sometimes difficult to go to those higher levels of spiritual understanding. Right. And that's not to criticize. It's just to say, it's actually to have compassion. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I understand it. Well, but, but if we can help people have safety and their physical needs met, I think we can have a higher order of religious conversation. Right, because otherwise they're just either constantly moving around or trying to figure out how do they stay alive mm-hmm. from either the elements or people or their own you know, bodily needs, right? It's like the walking dead. No one's hanging out doing Taize worship or doing Hillsong praise songs <laughs> or, or, when, the, when the zombies are coming. No, right. they're st- they might get you know, some Jesus in them, but... But when you're running from zombies, a lot of these other questions kind of, you know, right. go into the background. Then the next level. is The next level is love and belonging. This is where cults come in. <laughs> if you can have love and belonging, sometimes free love and belonging. So, yep. <laughs> you know. And, and that's something that people exploit for the purposes. I mean, that's how cults, I think, begin because. Well, some, sometimes if you, you, you have the love and belonging, then that will guarantee that they'll also help provide your safety and your your phys- physiological needs. Oh yeah, but that but that idea of having the community, community is important. And I've noticed, like I remember, um, the, the Buddhist word is the sangha, the community of of, of the monks. Mm-hmm. And so when we were when we were at one uh, intentional community, we'll talk about next week. The sangha was discussed, like the the community was discussed, and and people who were not necessarily bought into this particular community talked about how important community is. Mm-hmm. And it is. But because it's important, sometimes it can lead us astray because we'll do anything to keep that community. It could be as simple as having a very unhealthy clique in high school. It could be something really dangerous like Jim Jones and a suicide cult in Jonestown. Mm-hmm. But that need to be a part of something is so important that that's where we start to see religion as it manifests in these new religious movements. And where people could take advantage of making people hand over their their freedoms and, mm. and, and things like that, right? For the greater good mm. of the community. The so, second highest is the second highest is esteem. Uh, you you want to have a place in the world. There's there's a way in which you can see religion helping you to understand what your purpose is, what your vocation is and and what your value is. Like what's mm-hmm. what's the point of life? The highest level is self actualization. You can then wrestle with God a little bit more. What was the whole and, point of this existence? The, the purpose, yes, yeah. your purpose in general. Uh, you know how you're not thinking about how you're going to give back to others when when you don't have the other things. Now you're wondering why we're we talking about this, and the answer is that we have increasingly seen and met people that are into indigenous religious practices that are not indigenous people themselves. 
we've met people that have been involved in neo-paganism. Uh, we've met green witches, white witches, people in Wiccan society that cause us to wonder, how do we get there? Because on the one hand, we've got this modern society that, that loves technology and, and all this and is rejecting religiosity mm-hmm. and is rejecting in some way superstition. But then all of a sudden you've got this other stuff going on where people are, are, are calling upon elemental spirits or, or spiritual forces, angels, these other supernatural beings to do their bidding. And to me, this does not have to do with how smart a person is or a society, uh, how, how smart a society is. It has to do with the, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. So if your religion tends to be about fulfillment, then that means you're probably affluent and you're at the top of that hierarchy. You're looking for self-actualization. If you are starving to death, then your religious rituals tend to be about these ways that you can control the spirit world in order to survive, ward off evil, increase your crop yield, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I think it might help if you uh, distinguish between mysticism and magic. Yeah, this is really important because I think that we would identify as mystical. Mm-hmm. I've written against mysticism in other contexts, but I think when I did that, I started to learn and started to research more about what mysticism is. And Evelyn, Evelyn Underhill is a writer from England that, that kind of helps with this, and she, she's very good on this if you want to read a little bit about uh, mysticism from her perspective. But the idea is that mysticism is, is more passive. It receives the gift of existence. It receives the divine gift. In many ways, I think that there's such a thing as Lutheran mysticism. There's certainly Catholic mysticism. There's Julian of Norwich, a Catholic mystic. Um, Meister Eckhart, I think he gets into trouble with the Catholic Church. But you've, you've got these mystics over the years that are trying to understand something meditatively about the universe and about God. Okay? There's that. Then there's magic, and magic is about trying to control the universe through the spirit world. Mm -hmm. So it could be a potion, a formula, a spell, a talisman, a fetish, whatever it is. I think sometimes like superstition comes in there. Superstition is that, like the the lucky rabbit's foot or something. So those things, what is that about? If you're afraid, you turn towards those things. And that's what I'm saying is it's... Sometimes in the 19th century, in the early 20th century, scholars would say that if, if a community or a person was tied to, to archaic religion and magic, that it was because they were stupid or less evolved, and that evolved people were involving, you know, or were, were dealing with religion in more of a progressive or enlightenment deistic kind of way. Now, it's true that there's these correlations between status civilization and religion. But what I think that people miss is that it's not that religion evolves, but that religion tends to express itself in different ways based on what your needs are. If you're a poor religious person in Jalisco, Mexico, for instance, you might turn towards uh, St. Jude. You're trying to call on something outside of yourself to help you with you need help. your basic needs. I mean, this is the whole point of the Virgin of Guadalupe or, or, or Mary in general. It's like God doesn't seem to be paying attention right. to my immediate needs, so, so I need to go to a lesser being, saint, deity, whatever. Me, yeah. And as we've been traveling, we've seen, we've seen um, uh, botanicas, 
uh, where we have a kind of hybrid or syncretistic religion that deals with indigenous religion and Catholicism in more of a, a Mexican-American context. And we've seen, we've seen affluent white people that feel out of power that are turning towards shamanistic practices. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen a lot of magic. And as we said in a previous episode, we're not really interested in condemning magic because it's naughty or it's not what you know a good religious person should do. I'm interested in the way in which that rises to the surface when people feel like they're out of power. A lot of the young women in my classes, for instance, that are interested in, in Wiccan thought and practice have not been empowered. Mm-hmm. And so for them, what... What witchcraft means is being a wise woman and not putting up with the patriarchal system. So they're, they're pressed down on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. and therefore their religion expresses that. And we see that there are these groups that, like you had kind of briefly mentioned, but are willing to give up a certain amount of their own freedom to be servants or slaves to these lesser beings or, you know, whatever this this is that might yeah. help them along the way. Yeah. So it's a, it's sad because it's they, because they have needs, then they are, they, they're giving up their freedom to get those. Yeah. And, and we don't want to put it down other than to say that neither Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, nor, nor the God of the Anglicans, nor the God of the Aztecs, none of those deities is 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 worthy of you sacrificing your children or yourselves. Right. You know, and that's not anybody any deity that would want that is not is not is not, not the one worth spending much right. time on. So I get it. I get why people are into neo-paganism. And I I'm talking about a very specific neo-paganism that emphasizes petitions to lesser deities, smaller deities and spirits to get done the work that they need to get done. And we're going to go deep in this. We'll come back to this soon after I hope we meet some people and visit with some people in New Orleans where there's a very heavy syncretism with uh, voodoo and so forth. So we'll not go too deep into it, mm-hmm. but we'll just skirt the surface, baby. We'll see what that is, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a bit more of that. But again, it has to do with lack of empowerment. When you right. empower people, when you give them hope, when you give them security, then they can start thinking about their relationship to these religious issues in more fulfilling and emboldening and satisfying ways. Also, recognize that when you have some of these needs, you might be susceptible to people that are going to help try to take care of those needs so they can sell you something else. Mm -hmm. So it's important to keep that in mind. What is their, what is their motivation for helping you? And is it altruistic? Is it, this is your classic televangelist, right? It could be voodoo or it could be, are they telling you, Somebody on, on, on the, the televangelist who's trying to say that if you give like send your last money, hundred dollars that you will then get it back tenfold or whatever. That it, in a couple episodes we're gonna talk about what students and friends have taught us, but one of the things that really blew my mind was something that my former student Danielle turned us on to, which was a documentary that was lost. It won an award. It won uh, an award in, in the seventies and then the it's called Marjo. It's called Marjo. And it's about a young dude that was was kind of used by his parents as a performer. He was a young pastor. He was performing right. and his, his weddings dad went, after and stuff. 
his dad took off after they made $3 million or yeah, something. Yeah, he took so. off with $3 million, so it's just this hustle. And here's this guy, and he does this documentary about the hustle of the televangelist, of the, of the mm-hmm. revivalist preacher. Totally worth checking out. Marjo, M-A-R-J-O-E. And I was, I was really glad but also sad to see this. But what's going on? What's going on is that people, whether they're, whether they're Native American, uh, Christian, Buddhist, whatever, people know that there are people that are hurting and that religion is seen as a possible refuge for people that are hurting. Right. And then people well, that are, are naughty will be able that to yeah. manipulate you. And so you yeah. need to be aware that this could be going on. Any gift that is given that expects something back is not a gift. It's actually a transaction. Right? Yeah, and probably a dangerous. It's yes. like, you know, here you go. Here's here's a free sample of joy. Now you're going right, to have right. to give me your soul to yeah, have the joy. Yes. So, <sighs> anyway, number no good, 11. No number 11. It seems like we, as we have traveled, we cannot deny that there are signs at times of the earth's groaning, uh, you know, and, and we see that, unfortunately, it is the poorer people that are hurt the worst from some of these things. We believe in science and we believe in climate change. But regardless of your thoughts on this, friends, check this out. There are people that we have met. There are people we have literally walked alongside that are feeling the effects of something going on on this planet. Mm -hmm. We walked to a really nice restaurant Mm -hmm. um, with our dog by the beach. Stock Island. Stock Island is just a little, you know, it's it's just one hop removed from... uh, from Key, Key West. West. And it's where a lot of the locals live that do the service work on Key, Key West. West. So, so we, we saw a lot of more like mobile, older mobile homes that have been around there. Actually kind of cool. A lot of years. Jamaican folks mm-hmm. living. And there's, of course, there's, there's six-toed cats running around. And then there's roosters. So the dog was having a hard time keeping herself <laughs> cool because there's roosters, iguanas, Six-toed cats. But as we're walking down, there'd be places that were selling Jamaican jerk chicken and everything. We get to the end. But as we are going to our restaurant, we have to walk up to our, our, our knees in standing water that's still there. It's, it's I think, coming up from the ground. Yeah. And, the, and there, that, there's not a lot of wiggle room here. Right. And then the people are having to park on, you know, at least a few inches of water, even if, you know, if not more. But you could just see some of the cars had to be abandoned or whatever. People that maybe had to scratch $750 together to get a used car. And now this car is sitting there in standing water and I can see their wheels starting to rust. This is salt water coming up from the ground. And I realized that, hey, look at. I hope you're right, people who deny that there's climate change. I hope, hope maybe we have a, just a total reversal of that. But if these things continue as they seem to be continuing, folks, there are, there are beautiful but impoverished people that I, I couldn't tell you where they're going to go. I couldn't tell them where to go. I didn't know where to go. Right. I was barely brave enough to walk across this water to get to our restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's just a matter of time if things keep going as they go. There's three inches, will be uninhabitable. four inches. Mm-hmm. All of these homes will be uninhabitable. And we see in Florida all the time where they're just trying to either dig or put dirt. They're like trying, mm-hmm. you know, and that, you know, obviously it's, it's a very low, you know, there's a lot of water. It's, gonna it's be the, not new. It's going to yeah. be the first to be hit, though, by rising right. ocean levels. Right. 
It just is. Right, yeah. If you're living in Colorado, you can, you know, relax a little we're bit. Seeing, we're seeing, though, barriers that have been there for years and years and years that are just almost seem at this point constantly just with water we, lapping over We it. almost lost our welcome mat when we were camping out because the tide came up over and underneath our, our truck. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to tell you. Cause, it's fine. So, it's fine. <laughs> you we're, want a new mat anyway. <laughs> we survived. But the point is, the point is, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's all well and good for you to deny it is a reality if you are living on a hill. But if you're living in a place that's a flood zone, well, because that's the only place you can afford. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, even this isn't where people are living necessarily, but even in where some of our favorite places to go, like in Dana Point, it, we're losing the the beach there and yeah and the trees oh my family's favorite place have, that have been there for years are they their roots like it it's all getting unearthed the landscape matters right and the, and the territory matters and when you have when you have the money you can relocate and go somewhere else but there are people that don't have as many options and they are the ones that are going to suffer from places that or or even attempt to live in some in places that are mildly habitable, right? right? Or certain times of the year you can get away with it. People of goodwill, people of charity need to realize that it is not an option to disregard these human beings that are going to suffer for the sins of society in general. You or or even if just that's what the world is doing, period, right? Like if 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 the if for if you want to deny that we ha- are contributing to the climate change, mm-hmm. we just know that we're losing our right. our ice, right? That- <laughs> Even if human beings aren't affecting climate change, that doesn't mean that it's a sign of moral you know, rectitude to disregard poor people. Mm-hmm. The other thing we've noticed, I mean, in the fires in California, we've noticed that the insurance insurance companies are dropping fire insurance for everywhere these. around the Dow Surfer Ranch. Yes. They can't get they can't fire, get fire insurance, insurance anymore. Good thing we didn't build our house yet. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Joking. So, whoever owns those homes, like they're left holding the bag if they're if if their house burns down. That's a big deal. Yeah. And then you can't buy a house. No. House. You can't get, you know, even a second on your property or anything, any future loans. So, baby, I think we got to number 12. 12 is a very, very holy number. The 12th thing we learned on the road, these are general things. Next time we get together, we'll start to get more precise from people that have taught us things and, and we'll dig in a little deeper, but this is number 12. What is it? Number 12 is let the concert come to you. We started spending too much money (laughs) going to actual music festivals and concerts, which is a great way to meet people. Not as efficient as Boondockers. Right, right. <laughs> Boondockerswelcome.com. So, but one of the things that we found is that, all right, you got, you got three options. You've got live music. It's fine. <laughs> Enjoy live music. But that's not a thing that's going to tell me anything. I don't mind being entertained, but I'm not here to be entertained. I want to learn something. I want to meet some people. And then you've got productions. So it's somebody from Detroit that's now playing a concert in Tampa. That doesn't teach me anything either. What I want to find is the concert that is the actual local artists and what that can tell us about the vibe, the spirit of that community. So, and I would put a caveat here that if it's live music that's not a cover band, then that's helpful, right? 
That's what you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying just just something saying live music doesn't give me any right. indication on what I'm, I'm, I'm about what to What you're going to hear. If it's cover band stuff, then you right. could get that anywhere, right? But here's the thing. So we went to Nashville. And one of the main reasons we went to Nashville is because we saw that our friend Micah Bournet and our friend Emily Joy were going to be performing their spoken word poetry mm-hmm. at a coffee shop on Music Row in Nashville. And then we got to meet Brittany Spencer, who opened for them. So here we are. There's a, a group of people. It was a great show. It was really, really powerful. The, the poetry, the music, it was just all great. Mm-hmm. There are other people that could have been there. But they didn't know who these artists were. Right. We did know who they were, and so we visited and we checked it out, and it was just it was fantastic. But the point is, when we say let the concert come to you, check out the local weekly, mm-hmm. see who's performing, see who the young or old but upcoming artists, the people that have passion, they're going to be there. Let them speak to you. We went to an open mic thing. It was kind of an open mic thing in in Santa Fe. Brilliant. It was it was homey it wasn't polished you know but we met some people and we learned some things we heard some poetry mm-hmm. we heard we listened to some songs we, we had, danced we were sitting at a table that where there were other people with us at the table which was nice is that in the in between times we were able to have conversations you know what brought you here mm-hmm. there was there was a, a couple that was looking for property because they wanted to move there there was somebody else that had lived there for a really long time and and told us kind of sort of the down low about the community and what's going on there in Santa Fe yeah there's there's things you can learn when you're in, you know, when you open yourself up to, you know, the, the local events where, you know, even if, even if it's not, sometimes it's not in my nature to go to that big long table that has multiple seats. Right. It's hard. <laughs> it's, yep. You know, but when you do, it's always paying do, off. It's always been way more um, gratifying or mm. I don't know, just entertaining. It's been rewarding. Yes. And, and it's been, we've, we've met so many people and learned things what we're saying friends is we have a recommendation for you and that is wherever you are try to get yourself to wherever the arts community is and go visit people that maybe you've never heard of Mm -hmm. and get to meet some new people even if it's the last time you ever listened to them but just hearing somebody's heart is really really powerful and one thing I'll mention is that as we are going throughout the US there is a a vibe to different towns. And I would almost say that there is a different spirituality or, um, I don't know. So different overlords, angels, whatever. I do feel that there is this, you know, there's, there, they're ruled by different things or I don't know. Stephen King, when he wrote the novel, the stand, he, he set color, he set Boulder up against, uh, uh, Las Vegas, Las Vegas. And that might not be fair to either city. Because Boulder is a little bit more demonic and Vegas isn't as bad as they say. But there's something to that, that there's like a spirit of a place, right. an ethos, a, a deity, mm-hmm. if you want to use that in a metaphorical way. So, you know, by being out in the community, you get a better sense of what that is, especially if you're ever going to possibly move somewhere. That's yes. a really important thing. That's part of what we've been recognize. looking at. And, and, and see how even you as an outsider are being received yeah. in the community. It's like, you know, one of the things I was sad about with San Francisco when we visited San Francisco, and this is no diss on San Francisco, one of the most beautiful, wonderful places to visit. A lot more cocaine. Mm. Um, we went to a small comedy show. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you mm, know. That's right, yeah. But there are places where cocaine isn't cool, not because it's illegal, but because that's not the vibe. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't, I didn't get a... a 
Taos, New Mexico wasn't a big cocaine no, town, no, no, no. No. you know. And the idea, I, I thought, well, these are kind of interesting people, but they're 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 talking about cocaine in a way like it's 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 one of their deities, mm-hmm. and that makes me not want to. To live in San Francisco right. in that sense. And I and I always thought of San Francisco as this place that was more, you know, hippie and natural. Well, those cats all went out, and we're gonna talk about this next week. They all went out to Tennessee. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a thing. And so why did they do that? Because they needed to go somewhere where they could live without mm-hmm. hustling too hard. Right now there's a lot of people when you talk about van life, when you talk about living on the road, when you talk about overlanding, heck, there's a lot of people living in their vans in San Francisco, not by choice. But because that's the only way they can survive, and they're making more than eighty thousand yeah, dollars a can year. Make, yeah, they can make good money, but yet can't afford to live there. That's, yeah, yeah. So that's, hey, so eventually, if you get too many people on the bottom, mm-hmm. folks, that you know, again, there's, revolution. There's nowhere to go. I don't that. like the Jeff and Stacy are trying <laughs> to tell people to live in their van. Listen, listen, living in our van, living in our truck camper is going to be a lot better than a bunch of kids that are younger than us living in your backyard under under huts and lean tos. All right. Mm-hmm. So we as a society need to figure out how to help each other out how to look out for each other and it doesn't have to be under one political system or the other but to deny that people need to be cared for that we should love each other is a real dangerous avenue to go down well and it and it, it's it's the message that i that jesus that's the message jesus taught bring it <laughs> and the least the last the lost and i don't and this is and this is not political we're you know it's not republican or it's not democrat it's well it's just, also damn political but yes it's, but it's not bigger than that. it's not partisan it's bigger than that mm-hmm. you know and if we we need to love the people not again the organizations or the structures that we've set up yep it's a, the people the people matter <laughs> people are the thing you know and if we don't care about them it's actually not helpful for us it's not practically helpful. No. It's certainly not spiritually helpful. Now, to close out the show, we are going to address an email from Phil. This is a follow-up because we played Phil's message and then he had emailed us back. So we're going to just read a follow-up email from him. It won't take too long. But before that, I'm going to play something kind of interesting. We were camping as a family. And when we were talking about this idea of letting the concert come to you, we noticed that sometimes the best musical performances, sometimes the most interesting artistic experiences have been these moments when we weren't paying for it. There wasn't a ticketed event. There mm-hmm. wasn't a kiosk. It was just a spontaneous thing. And so, I don't know, take it or leave it. This is a young woman named Emerson Gray, and she plays the ukulele. We were just hanging out around a fire with the family at one of our overland experiences and all of a sudden this this gal comes by and and she's got a ukulele we said hey play us a song and she played us this song it's black motorcycle by lana del rey which okay i'm a fan <laughs> of lana del rey but here she goes this that and then after she plays that song we're going to come back and we're just going to quickly respond to phil's follow-up email be right back i like the snake on your tie I like the ivy
takes me back to the smells of the, of the fire. And music and food. does that. Yeah, music is so is interesting. Sure. Where, where anyway, hear something and hope she's doing great. Yeah, Emerson, absolutely. thanks for the music. Thank you. So Phil had responded in an email uh, as a follow-up when we told him that his, his we had played his question. And one of the things amongst other stuff that he says in his email that he mentions, my prayer is to grow a family and be a part of church that is centered around unconditional love of Jesus. I am failing to love my family unconditionally, and I often fail to love my fiance unconditionally. I do not consistently show unconditional love because I am afraid of being hurt and rejected. Trying to understand freedom and suffering through Martin Luther's Freedom of the Christian is helping me with my selfish fears. Thanks for your transparency and thoughtfulness. It is a model of grace I hope my future wife and I can have for each other. The main reason we wanted to talk about this is that I realize, Stacy realizes, that as we talk about living on the road, we realize it's it's hard to do. Yes. It's really hard to do. So and we're not trying these, to make you feel bad if you don't do it. And all of these things that we're talking about, is, that we're mentioning, that there is a different way to do life. You are already loved and you are already okay. So I know a lot of this stuff can sound terrifying and you can get down on yourself for how you might not be doing this right. Think about this. I think I'm so glad that you said this, Stacey, because when, when we say there is an unconditional love, a model of unconditional love, when we say that there's a way of living that doesn't demand the rat race. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that you have to do this. Like living in a van is your new rule, no, right. your new monastic because commitment. That becomes the, no. the new the new terror. No, or the we new just slave love doing this. Yeah. We think the water is great. Jump on in, friends. Come live on the road like we live on the road. Let's meet up in Marfa, Texas, or something, <laughs> and have a party someday. But not because you should feel guilty, and this is the key, not because you should feel guilty because you're unethical for not doing it, but because this is an invitation to a life without those kind of fears and constraints. Mm-hmm. One of the things that that w- the Little House on the Highway had mentioned is that life, they see life as like a game, like a video game. Yeah. And, and it's just how do you choose to live that life and yep. don't and so have fun with it yeah. you know how, how can how oh they were so right on with this people would sometimes see them because they were in they were in a and they were in their schoolie yeah they chose that life because that was fun and people would say oh you think i'm a bad person for, for living having... in a suburban house no it's not the no. thing but if, if that's your video game if that's the way that you're having fun play it. then play it ride that ride <laughs> you know but don't if you feel like you're trapped into a situation where you don't have the freedom or that you are a slave to something else then take a look at that and see if there's another way that you can you can do it right There's- right all we're saying is that you don't have to sell your soul just to be able to have a cookie cutter home in people storageville right like you can live in people storageville if that's your game that you want to play and focus your energies on something else we, we do it all the time mm-hmm. we'll say look we live in irvine so we don't have to commute right. irvine 
Irvine's a boring, boring city. <laughs> Some people love it because they love boring. That's great. I want to live somewhere more interesting. I want to live either in Long Beach or San Clemente and then drive up. But that's going to be 40 minutes to an hour. And one of our conversations... But I don't have... That's, that's bad money. It's yeah. like a bad investment. And one of the conversations that we had with uh, one of your former students, she and her boyfriend are looking to go maybe move, you know, they're going to maybe when they want to buy something or whatever, they're going to maybe go out of the country. (laughs) There's all sorts of options out there. Don't think that you are just, you know, have to stay in this little box of people want to trick you. People want to control you by thinking you only have a couple of options. You can either be married to me in this unhappy relationship or you can get divorced and be sad. Right. Right. You can go to my church or go to hell. The world is. Eh, there's a little more options than that. The world is your oyster. Yeah. So wherever. Unless you hate oysters. <laughs> well, We've had some good oysters. <laughs> yes. Whatever that is for you. I just hope that you can seriously reflect and find it, you know, and, and, yep. and, and get closer to it. Maybe establish a few goals or whatever so you can work closer towards, you know, what that what your video game, what you want your video game to be. Now, as we close this out, we're not going to have our normal, you know, send off. Instead. I want to play for you one of my favorite tracks from Michael Borne's recent hip-hop album. He's coming out with another one. He's recording it when we, when we met up with him this, this uh, fall. We knew that uh, we learned that he's doing something really cool, and you're going to love it. But the old one we still love, the, the album called A Time Like This. And he's got a song that really, I think, it, it's very poignant because... Micah, when I first met him, we were both speaking at a conference, and he's always beloved. I mean, everybody loves it when he comes out. So Micah Borne is an amazing guy. One of the things that's interesting about him is that he doesn't fit anybody's categories perfectly. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they think, hey, man, you're African-American. You must be progressive on these political issues just like me. And it depends on the issue. Right. right? He might be more conservative. He's just faithfully to his convictions. Yes. And that is so rare for people. People want you to get in line. They want to put you in a box so they understand you. Yeah. So as he started to develop his voice, as he was, as we would say it, pushing against Molech, confronting the system, confronting the evils of the system, it was not financially helpful for him. Mm. As we go out for today's episode, thanks for joining us. The the thing that uh, I wanted to do was to close with the song called Fan Mail by Michael Borne, A, because the beat is really cool. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it helps you to understand something that we're afraid of sometimes, which is... When you speak your mind, when you try to give people the truth that you think they need to hear, it also can affect you negatively financially. And because of that, we are trying to preempt that by living in a truck. Does that make sense? Like less to lessen our expenses, lessen our needs. So it won't, doesn't take as much to sustain us. I can't do the hip hop like the Michael Borne. <laughs> But if I did, or whatever my medium is, I want to be able to have authenticity, honesty, compassion, truth, speak with a real voice. You want to speak with a real voice, and you can only do that when you're not afraid. When you're not afraid. To, to say what you need to say. You're going to love this song. We're going to send you out with it. We'll hope that you come back and join us again next time. Peace upon peace, friends. Do this for applause. Never. 
And neither do I try to piss them off I'm committed to the truth If they love it or they boo I don't pay no mind, I answer to the law Messiah tried to warn us on God Said they blind even though they got bars Cause they threw him a parade Then a couple more days They was crying for him to be crucified uh -huh. Guarantee we gonna see a lot of hate If we follow in the leader of the way And we probably see it most From the very same folks Who say glory hallelujah all day My fan mail is turning to hate mail My fan mail is turning to hate mail My fan mail is turning to hate mail Oh well, cause the truth we gon' tell Fan mail is turning to hate mail Fan mail is turning to hate mail Fan mail is turning to hate mail Oh well, oh well Yeah, gotta remember who your answers to Who you write the anthems to Who you raise your hands to Who that propaganda dude Who be curing cancer Who carry the answers Who can unlock the dancers Who be giving stanzas Came to scorch the ground And make vegetation spring I ain't scared of hate mail The conqueror sings I ain't made of paper mache I fortified my brain I ain't scared of pain I understand my lane Gadfly Agitator Underrated Underrated Underminer Underling Under the anointing I don't check my DMs I answer to a deity Ain't worried about no per diem Call it like I see turning the hate mail Fan mail is turning to hate mail. Fan mail is turning to hate mail. Oh well, cause the truth I'm gon' tell. Fan mail is turning to hate mail. Fan mail is turning to hate mail. Fan mail is turning to hate mail. Oh well, oh well. Separation of the church and state is written in our laws with the freedom of religion. Plus you claim that our nation has biblical foundations Fascinating, let me ask you something Christian If you think a Muslim is your enemy And your savior say to love your enemies Then you ain't got no excuse And I really am confused why you wanna ban Islamic refugees If the Bible say you're supposed to love your neighbor And to be hospitable even to strangers Tell me why most of your friends got the very same skin You don't even know the people you afraid of The crazy thing about it all to me Jesus was a Middle Eastern refugee Mama Africa embracing but America so racist Baby Jesus would have been a casualty Oh well Whoa Micah, whoa, whoa Micah, whoa We we liked you better when you wasn't so bold Laugh Micah, laugh, laugh Micah, laugh We we liked you better when you wasn't so mad Chill Micah, chill, chill Micah, chill We we liked you better when you wasn't so real Rap Micah, rap when you wasn't so black. When we find things that we really dig, we definitely want to share them with you. And Boondockers Welcome is one of the coolest things that we've discovered while we've been on the road. All you have to do is pay a small annual fee and then you get access to staying with folks all across the U.S. And we have just been completely blown away by the instant community we found. And we've made lifetime friends that have gone above and beyond with their kindness and their generosity. 
If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link there where you can sign up, and we think you'll enjoy it, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or a camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and then you can stay for free all around the country. Give it a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we do.